Hello everyone, this is Deborah Richardson and today I am putting the AP in Happy where accounts payable teams are empowered to protect the vendor master file from fraud. This podcast will give a voice to accounts payable team members by talking about the growing reality of cyber attacks in their world and which vendor setup and vendor management techniques they can apply to protect the vendor master file from fraud. If you are looking for vendor process training for you or your entire vendor team, head over to my site at DeborahRRichardson.com and click on the Vendor Team Training Solved button to learn more about what is included in the annual plan and also to download a training schedule. Get the training that you and your team needs to avoid payment fraud, duplicate vendors, compliance fines, and more. Since nonprofit vendors are not reportable on the 1099 MISC or the 1099 NEC, you may be tempted to not collect the usual vendor setup forms or record their tax ID or perform validations. But best practice is that you do. So in this episode, I will talk about forms to collect and the validations to perform for nonprofit vendors. Keep listening. Welcome to episode 187, Documents and Validations When Setting Up Nonprofit Vendors. So I recently had this question from a member of my vendor process team training pass for the Friday drop-in live Q&A sessions a couple of weeks back. And this is one of the things you get when you uh, sign your whole team up for that Uh, vendor process team training pass, uh, in addition to all of my digital downloads, you get weekly trainings and that Q&A session. uh, And it's uh, drop in, it's open from 12 to 2 Eastern, again, on Fridays, where members can jump on to ask their question and then jump off or just hang around to see what other questions come in and what those responses are. But anyway, this question um, was, since U.S. nonprofits um, were not reportable, did they have to enter the tax ID in their accounting system? And so I thought I better answer the question in full. And so I'm going to talk about um, what you need to set up a nonprofit vendor and what validations you should be doing. Now, for my regular listeners, or if you have um, read any of my blog posts, if you've been around me for a while, you already know what my response was uh, and what the validations and documents are based around. And it's really to treat uh, nonprofit vendors as regular vendors, require all the same documents um, and perform all the same validations and perhaps even more when you see the list. And then, yes, enter their tax ID in the accounting system or ERP. And that's because um, their payments uh, are targeted by fraudsters, just like regular vendor payments are, and probably even more so because fraudsters will create 
create fake charities, for example, to get your company's donations. Uh, and that's really been rampant since uh, the pandemic and COVID-19. But it was around before. Every time there was some type of a natural disaster, uh, these fake charities uh, would pop up. And that's why there is a charity fraud week every year. It's held by multiple organizations, uh, some global, um, plus even for legitimate chair, uh, charities, there are additional like charity watchdog organizations that track how much of the dollars you give uh, or your company donates actually goes to the groups uh, that those charities are serving. Um, I do have a whole episode on fake charities and how you can protect your company. It's uh, episode 160. So make sure you check, uh, check that out or that episode out if you're interested. And since I brought up charities uh, as an example here, I do want to define uh, nonprofit vendors. And so these are vendors that have registered with the IRS as a tax-exempt organization. Now, these tax-exempt organizations or nonprofits can be uh, uh, charities, and you may be familiar with the 501c3 designation, um, but they can also be churches and religious organizations, uh, private foundations, political organizations, uh, as well as other types like social welfare organizations, civil leagues, social clubs, labor organizations, and business leagues. And so I do want to emphasize that while all charities are nonprofits, um, not all nonprofits are charities. There are other types of tax exempt organizations. And this is an important distinction because I talked about episode uh, 160, that's all on fake charities. And then uh, which is just the fake charities. And then I also have a separate validation step for uh, those nonprofits or tax exempt organizations that are charities. So let's go ahead and get started with uh, the documents and then also the validations. So the first thing is you do want to make sure that you get the um, valid uh, vendor legal name, uh, and tax ID. And so you either want to uh, require the IRS W-9 along with your vendor setup form if you have one, or maybe a substitute IRS W-9 that is a combination of an IRS W-9 and a vendor setup form. Uh, and if you require a vendor setup form, uh, I think that's great. Or the substitute IRS W-9 form that combines that, um, uh, combines those together. I think that's great because it allows you to collect more information than you would on the IRS W-9 uh, alone. And we've all been there where we receive, uh, we know we have a nonprofit or tax exempt organization. Uh, we may or may not know whether it's a charity, but uh, they are technically supposed to enter in the other tax classification line. They're supposed to uh, select like that. And then they're supposed to enter in their designation like a 501c3. That doesn't always happen uh, because the 
Vendors don't always read the instructions. Uh, so if you have a vendor setup form, you can have a specific field where you ask them that. If you know that uh, you uh, set up nonprofit vendors, especially on uh, if it's fairly frequent. So in any event, you uh, uh, grab the form that you require or forms and uh you take that vendor legal name and their tax ID, which should be their employer identification number, EIN. And then for the validations, you want to make sure that you verify their legal name and tax ID combination, uh, that it matches IRS records by performing the IRS 10 match. And you do want to do that because even though they are not reportable, you want to make sure they are real. Um, you don't want to make it easy for a froster to sneak in a fake charity, um, for example, um, by not requiring the IRS W-9 uh, and tax ID just on the basis of them being a charity. Uh, and then you want to, uh, after you do the IRS 10 match, you want to take that same legal name and EIN and you want to check them against the IRS tax exempt organization tool. Now with this tool, you can do uh, two things. One, again, verify that they are a real vendor, a real organization. And then two, check their eligibility to receive tax deductible charitable contributions. And you can also uh, review information, other information about the organization's tax exempt status and filings. Like you can look at their 990s if that's something that you do. So you want to go to that tool, you can either search by vendor legal name or employee uh, identification number, EIN. And what you're looking for is publication 78 data, which is a list of organizations that are eligible to receive tax deductible charitable contributions. Now in the results, you'll see a, if it comes up in the results that organization does, you'll see a code and you can click on that code and it'll pop up a list of all of the codes and what the charitable deduction uh, deductibility limitations are, such as uh, you might get a code that says PC, which means it's a public charity and it has a 50% deductibility limitation or 60% for cash contributions. Or maybe it's code PF for a private foundation uh, that has a deductibility limitation of 30%. And so this might be very important for you uh, if your company uh, is planning on deducting uh, any of uh, donations that are made. And I know that uh, in the past, I have we have had to identify um, what that code was. So we would enter that into our ERP. And then uh, we would also enter their designation such as 501c3. And then at the end of the year, or the beginning of the next year, we would send uh, a uh, invoice or payment activity uh, for those vendors 
uh, to our tax team. Now, I don't know what they really did with it, if they ended up using it on the company's tax returns or how they used it. But we did uh, make sure that we documented those vendors so that we could send the pay or the report of the payments made to them for the year. All right. So this next valid uh, validation step is if your nonprofit uh, nonprofit uh, vendor is a charity and your company is interested in how much of their dollar is actually going to the group or the folks that the charity serves. As I mentioned earlier, now Charity Navigator is one. And if you want to hear more and uh, have more options, uh, again, listen to episode uh, 160, where I go into detail about how to protect yourselves from fake charities. And I identify, I think I have two additional options besides Charity Navigator. And I link to a blog post where I talk about um, or I give options for those charity weeks. It's usually at some point in October, uh, right before Giving Tuesday, which in 2022, this year, it is going to be Tuesday, November 29th. And every year, I thought it was the first Tuesday in December, but it looks like it's the last Tuesday in November, or maybe it just fluctuates year to year. But in 2022, it is going to be Tuesday, November 29th. Anyway, check out that episode um, for more options on uh, following up on your charity Uh even if it's a real charity, just to see how much actually gets to the uh, population they serve. And then also to hear more information on Charity Fraud Week and the organizations that put that on. All right. So I think I have all of the validations um, that I recommend you do with the vendor legal name and the tax ID, which should be their EIN. So moving along, the next thing that's on the IRS W-9 or the vendor setup form or the combination of both on a substitute W-9 is the address. And you do want to verify the address is real and you can use the um, United States Postal Service or USPS lookup tool. Or if your company has a separate validation uh, that might be in your ERP, I like checking it against um, a website called smarty.com. It used to be called Smarty Streets, but they rebranded to just Smarty, um, where you not only get the same results that you would have if you looked it up on the USPS tool, um, but you also get the status of the address. So whether that address is vacant, inactive, or PO box only, uh, they'll tell you that which could be a red flag, uh, especially if that nonprofit is a fake charity. So I like to use Smarty. Now it is a paid source, uh, but uh, they do have a free trial and I think you get some free ones uh, every month. Um, But check out smarty.com. I will put uh, that link in the description and you can check them out and see if it's something that uh, you think is uh, valid for your company to use. 
And speaking of the address, um, if there are additional addresses than the one that's on the IRS W-9 form, um, it could be on an invoice, contract, agreement, if there is one for nonprofits, um, the vendor setup form, I talked about that. Just make sure you're looking for additional addresses if there are any. And if there are, um, go ahead and verify those as well. Now, all of these validations that I'm talking about, or I just talked about the IRS 10 match, the uh, validation against um, the tax exempt organization tool, the uh, USPS or the address uh, validation can all be done with 10check.com with that subscription. So if you use that tool, um, to make the validation process more efficient for you and your team. That's great. We used to use it too. Uh, and if you want training for you or your team on 10check.com validations, uh, I have a training on the fourth Wednesday of every month. And I'll leave the link in the show notes if you're interested. And the reason I created that training is if you're currently using 10check.com, you know what I'm talking about when you um, click the button to run the validation, and then you get all of these green lines, or at least you hope they're green lines, because they're checking against 42 different watch lists, right? And some of them may apply to you, some of them may not, but if any are read, it just kind of stops the whole thing. You don't know what to do. And so that's what the training is about. And speaking of that, uh, the next thing you do want to validate, which is again, included in 10check.com, is your uh, uh, sanctions list validation. So you want to make sure that you are checking them against uh, the OFAC uh, sanctions list. And uh, OFAC has a tool. Um, it's actually the Department of Treasury, and they do have a, a lookup tool where you can uh, check against uh, multiple different watch lists. They have consolidated watch lists. Um, along with especially designated nationals. Uh, and uh, uh, you do need to make sure because any U.S. entities or individuals are prohibited from doing business uh, or making payments to vendors that are on that list. So you do need to verify it. But again, that is included in 10check.com. So Looking at all of this, you can agree that this is all the same that you would do for a regular vendor plus some because now you need to check them against the IRS tax exempt uh, search tool. Uh, and if they are a charitable organization or a charity, uh, you may choose to also check them against one of the watchdog organizations like uh, Charity Navigator to just make sure that the population that they are serving are getting the majority of every dollar that your company donates. All right, so let's talk about payments. So if there is a check payment method, uh, that should uh, the check should get to them fine uh, because you have validated uh, that uh, check payment address or remittance address. If you are setting them up for an electronic payment, be it an ACH or wire, uh, you want to have them complete and submit uh, what I recommend is a company branded ACH form. 
and on that form require the internal employee that they have a relationship with be entered on the form. So if there are any red flags, you have someone to contact. And I really like using a company branded ACH form because you can ask for authenticating data on it. So um, for example, if for uh, if you are processing an existing vendor change for banking, you can ask for the uh, existing banking that's on uh, the vendor record. And then when you get that back, you can verify it to make sure you are dealing with your vendor. And if for some reason uh, they don't have it, then that is a huge red flag because if they don't have the existing banking, then how do they have the authority to change it and the access to give you the new banking. And so for those of you that, you know, are used to my podcast and blog posts, you've heard that before. Um, But I also um, really like it for new vendor setups too, especially those vendors that do not have or that are not purchase order vendors because you don't have a buyer uh, to contact. And so it's great to have an internal team member that you can go to if there are any uh, red flags. So collect it on the company brand ACH form. And if they still give you their vendor banking details uh, on letterhead, either vendor letterhead or bank letterhead or the copy of the voided check, or if you still require it, that's fine. Um, Just attach it to or require it in addition to the company branded ACH form. Now, once you get that information, you do need to validate the routing number since banks are Um, are acquired and merge all the time. And the vendors never really pay attention to that. Uh, You want to make sure your payment is successful and you can do that for free with the Federal Reserve Board. And I will leave a link in the show notes. Now, uh, it will also tell you and verify um, whether or not that routing number is valid for an ACH payment and or a wire payment because some banks uh, uh, will have separate routing numbers for each type of payment. All right, so the next one is if you have the ability, um, because it is a paid service, then check bank account ownership. um, And that's where you verify the vendor legal name matches the bank account holder name that is tied to the bank account that was submitted for the payments. And I do have uh, a podcast episode uh, 172. So it's very recent. It was back in February where I talked about free and paid resources to validate vendor bank details. And so I did give some options uh, for, um, uh, bank account ownership validations for both U.S. banks and non-U.S. banks. And so you can check that out, but I'll also, um, put a link. And so I probably won't do a separate one for the federal reserve boards because it's on the one I'm about to tell you about now. Um, but I am going to put a link to download my free vendor validation reference list, which has lots of resources for validating uh, vendor information, including vendor banking. And so it has the federal reserve board link on there, along with links to, I think, four or five different options for validating validating bank account ownership. So make sure you uh, click through the link and download that. 
All right. So those are the documents and the validations uh, that I recommend be done for uh, U.S. nonprofit vendors. Now, if you require like additional documents uh, for the nonprofit or tax exempt organizations that you set up as vendors, I'd love to hear about it. You can comment on uh, the platform that you use to listen, or you can just shoot me an email at Deborah at DebraRRichardson.com. Again, I'd love to hear about it and uh, share it with uh, share it with the listeners. All right. So thanks, everyone. I hope you enjoyed the 187th episode of the Putting the AP in Happy podcast, where accounts payable teams are empowered to protect the vendor master file from fraud. Don't forget to check the show notes for the links mentioned in the podcast. And if you enjoyed this episode, consider subscribing and writing a review of my podcast on the platform that you use to listen. Stay happy. <music>